Welcome. Another episode, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. I'm here with Daryl McKay, who was the, uh, uh, I guess, co-founder or founder, co-founder of Sports Images, one of the very leading distributors back in the day, starting in the, the late 80s. And we're going to do a special episode titled Then and Now Distributors. So uh, distributors are uh, an important part of our industry and uh, misunderstood in some respects. So we're going to hear from Daryl. He's been one and he's uh, very aware of the the challenges and the opportunities. So thanks to our uh, sponsors, uh, faithful sponsors, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, ComC, COMC.com, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike's Stadium Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, Tops, Panini, and Upper Deck. So Daryl, uh, welcome to the show and take us back to the wild, wild west. Actually, you're in the wild, <laughs> wild east but what it was like to be a distributor in 1989 when uh, they were simpler days, but there were still challenges with the hobby, really. I- I'm sure you felt like I did, that we-, we really had a tiger by the tail. Oh, absolutely. You know, 89 was the first year of Upper Deck, as you know, the first yeah. year of ProSet. Um, you know, that was revolutionary in itself and uncharted territory. I remember thinking to myself, will people actually pay $1.99 for a pack of cards? <laughs> Feels kind of provo- parochial uh, and silly that now. Was, but. That was, uh, I don't know, the premium or super premium, but now, wow, that just puts it in perspective. They really did. You know, and I remember we had this long discussion about should we carry up our deck? Will people really pay for it? Right, and, right. You know, very quickly it evolved into a conversation of can we get more? Um, and how much more can we get? And, right. you know, that was the early days for sure. It was access to product. If you think about it, it wasn't hard in 89 to find someone to sell product to, it was harder to become a reputable source of supply and, and recognized as that for a manufacturer, for any of the manufacturers. Um, it how was you, really about then you, proving that you were reputable. It wasn't that you couldn't find anybody to sell it. It was, that was the easy part, for lack of a better term. Well, what, uh, there were, there were other distributors. For uh, sure. But uh, the ones, I mean, uh, you know, I was friends with Talking Sports and, and uh, Dick DeCourcy at Georgia yep. Music and Sports, Southern, uh, what was the other? Anyway, I just see what I did. The, the, in the Northeast, what was what was up there? Or it was, was that a void that you stepped into, or were there others that were splintered and ineffective? I mean, well, was, you know, in the Boston area, the biggest distributor by far, and of course you'll remember this now when I jog your memory, was Rodman's. Oh, um, Steve Rodman, yeah. Steve Rodman, yeah. Out of the furniture store. I mean, yeah, legitimately, at the back right. of the furniture store warehouse was right. Rodman's. Card distribution. Um, a- and Steve, obviously, I, I'd known for years, having been in the hobby. I bought from Steve, um, right. got along well with Steve and Leslie Rotman. Yep. They were great people. But yeah, Rotman's was by far the big kahuna in this market. Um, and of course, you also remember that Rotman's had a plastic page line that they made yep. all their own yep. Yep. and all their own supplies. And I was, <laughs> and I say this, you know, I was full of uh, youthful vigor, and I thought to myself, well, these are nice pages, Rotman's, but I saw these pages in California called Ultra Pro Pages right? Um, and back in 89, and uh, I really felt like this was a unique opportunity to bring a product that, frankly, didn't harden into a brick um, in the cold weather of the Northeast, because that's what happened to the PVC right. pages, if you'll remember. Right, right. right. And, and I thought to myself, that can't really be good for the cards, but it was all we had at the time. Right. So we started with Ultra Pro was our first, and you know, for Sports Images, our first official distributorship. Um, and Lobby. I, you know, I give the folks at Ultra Pro a tremendous amount of credit for um, that. And maybe they figured if anyone's crazy enough to try to fight the Rotman plastic sheet, let them have it. But I don't, I don't know what their thought process was. No, I, but I'm grateful I, to them for trying us. 
I was uh, friends back in the day with Robbie uh, Shep and yes. uh, really enjoyed his uh, uh, approach to business. And uh, so we, we, we were, we were friends and never competitors, I guess. I never really did supplies, but he was kind of my go-to guy for that stuff for, for a long time. But so, so he gave you a chance. And, uh, but then did you, uh, knock on top store? Did you knock on, uh, upper deck store? Did you knock on, uh, Flair was, you know, over yep. in the Philly area? Yeah, we knocked on all the doors. Um, and what I think do? the second person to give us a chance was, um, Skybox. Oh, really? Ken Smith. Okay. Um, back in the day. And, and I think that I believe they were the second and upper deck as well. Um, back in 89 was really very good to us and, yeah. and remained so. Um, and you know, so those were the first two and then tops and Fleer and Donruss. Um, I think. I'm going to, and I don't remember the order, but I'm going to say that Fleer might've been the last one to come around for us. Well, that uh, I, I'm not going to make any comment about that. Other than, uh, <laughs> uh, what, were you able to, uh, uh, so what was your, in those days, were you able to impress the card companies because you had uh, uh, contact and uh, relationship with uh, some number of stores or were you just saying, Hey, give me this stuff and I'll get it placed somewhere. I think it was a number of things, Jim. You know, back in those days, you know, the cards were selling themselves. I mean, let's be honest about that. In 89, that's why there are so many 88s and 89s and 90s in the market still, because right. there was so much demand. Um, but I think what impressed them, you know, I am generally pretty relentless about going after something. Eventually, I'll find a way to make it appealing <laughs> to business if possible. Uh, I think the other thing that was, you know, legitimately impressive was we had a legitimate route of trucks that went around and delivered to the stores and the stores, you know, and I would say this to this day, we're by far and away our biggest advocates for having local right. ability to buy boxes or cases close by, not have to go to Worcester to Rotman's, you know, drive to Worcester. Right. Rotman's did not have right. trucks and they didn't want to. Right. Um, and so I think the, the delivery that we did um, made a big difference. But were the card companies concerned that you were, we're talking about then and now, I mean, even now there's some concern by some of the manufacturers that, that they want to sell to brick and mortar or, you know, that, that uh, show dealers or internet dealers or flippers are, are they, they want to primarily, they, they want to see some, some brick and mortar. Is that, is that seem well, like they, that's the same as it was in the old days, maybe? Uh, well, I mean, back in those days, it was, I mean, keep in mind, there was no internet. Certainly no. at that point, there were mail order dealers that and show dealers that created right. issues from time to time. Right. Right. Um, for sure. But it was nowhere near what it is today that distributors have to deal with or that, you know, I was dealing with back even in, you know, 10 years ago yeah. um, in terms of the the voraciousness of competition. Uh, but, yeah, they definitely liked that we had stores and stores were the primary yes. seller and purchaser of this product for sure. And uh, how much of your business was supplies as opposed to reloading uh, uh, boxes and cases of cards? Was it oh, a substantial amount. Of always, right? It sounds so dorky, but I always love the supply business. Because I always viewed it to be the downstream add-on revenue opportunity. And, you know, cards were, for us, typically a relatively low margin business because they were, A, pre-priced back in the day, you know, 99 cents a pack. Or, you know, I guess the upper deck came out at 99 at that point, top was yes, 50 yeah, cents. Yeah. And then they quickly went up to $1.99. But, you know, it, they were often pre-priced on the box or the pack. And so everybody knew what cards cost and everybody knew what cards sold for. And they were... They got to be a lower margin business throughout the late 90s and early uh, decade of the 2000s. But, uh, you know, it was never typically a high margin business until the cards had sold out by the manufacturer. And if you were truly distributing product, and I believe this to this day, then you sold it and then you rebought it and you put a markup on it. 
but you didn't hold back cards. At least I hadn't, let me say it this way. I wasn't smart enough to think about it back in those days. Well, you sold that's... it, you went and tried to get more. And then eventually the card company said, no, there is no more. And you went, oh, I guess I should have kept some, but I didn't, you know, I just, because if well, you could it's... sell more, you kept selling more. Well, the great, uh, it's so counter instinctual to be in a business where the, the inventory can be appreciating rather than depreciating. <laughs> And that was the case through a lot of those years. Now, it wouldn't be true of supplies, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but although just to get a dig at the PVC crowd, <laughs> yeah, it's a, talk about a depreciating inventory. That was a, that, that was a walking liability, you know, that, that, uh, I think there's, if you find cards in those kind of sheets now, they are petrified. Oh, they yeah. Are, right about that. I mean, the PVC stuff just, you know, yeah. or, and if they were autographed cards, they're no longer autographed. Well, the, 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 the plastic is autographed. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Or that was actually my big or it's, um, uh, well lubricated. Pitch. Yeah, yeah, that was how I started out. I walked around with autographed pages. You just put them out with in the sun. Put them out. I would show people what an autographed photo in a page in a Rotman page looked like. You know, a year or two later, that they had an autographed page and not an autographed photo, and that was honest to God how we got Ultra Pro really well launched in New England, anyways, against Rotmans. Okay, then and now, what was the biggest uh, challenge for distributors back in 89, and what do you, how is it similar or dissimilar to what do you think it might be now? So I think the things that are you know were similar then that are similar now is having that relationship both with your customer and your supplier, in this case, the card companies or you know um, the, the ancillary su- supplies right. and that kind of thing. But if you didn't have a legitimately strong relationship you probably didn't have access to the products that you you and really your customers needed. And if you didn't have a good relationship with your customers, they weren't there to support you on promotions and things that were needed from time to time to drive sales. And therefore, you couldn't deliver for the companies that were counting on you to deliver. So, you know, I think the thing that is still true, no matter what period of time we're talking about, it's a relationship. Well, you mentioned that you're in your, uh, we are your resource, your uh, current endeavor in helping uh, other entrepreneurs, other businesses be successful and, and including uh, several in this industry. You, you say you're, you, there's a networking aspect. I mean, all businesses, uh, pretty much all businesses have a people aspect. And in this industry, it's, it's very important. You, you've got to connect the buyer to the seller and Absolutely. the intermediary is a, an important part of it. So, so no, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's also what have you done lately kind of a, <laughs> did you uh, ever help uh, these card shops to uh, uh, did you co- consultatively advise them to order less or more of a certain product? Because sometimes uh, card shops would get uh, greedy is, is, is too simplistic, but they would they would they would just want to over order. Did you allow right. them to do that? Because, or did you have to do allocations and say, look, you've got a small shop in a small town and uh, this is going to be a good product, but you, you only have 100 customers. So. You don't need a hundred cases. For sure. I mean, the, the allocation part of the business is apparently, I, I'm told, um, still very true today as it was then. Um, I definitely, you know, I can't say I talked to every single customer because none of us have a crystal ball that foretold the future flawlessly. Um, and I'm sure there are many examples that customers <laughs> remind me of where I did not talk them down off of their order. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I know that I spent a lot of time, you know, I've always viewed it as I'd like to have a store be in business for right. the long haul because it is much easier to maintain a business relationship that is ongoing than starting a new one every five months because that one went out of business. So I always had the belief that keep your customer in business, let them come back for more. And as I would always remind people, if you miss out on something and it goes up, well, it's still, it means it's a good product. And even if you pay more, you'll sell it for more. So it's still okay to miss out on something that gets hot. Um, Really the best case scenario, to be honest, you you know, if everybody buys 
more than they need or even exactly what they need, then they're less likely to ever find a secondary opportunity to sell it for a a higher price. That equilibrium that was maintained uh, largely was a big reason for the success and explosion and growth of our industry. But when it it went upside down, uh, when, when supply was greater than the actual demand, Right. Then uh, we had a big problem because people basically, they will always want what they can't have. Correct. And if they perceive that it's, that it's omnipresent, <laughs> some product, then it, it, it's, uh, it's, it, it becomes uh, uh, extremely devalued. And so we had to uh, recalibrate and uh, get that out of the system. And it, it took a while. But yes, it did. Dis- distributors were in there, and now we're heading into a period, I think, where it's similar in that uh, mm-hmm. people, when when a, the latest hot product comes out, they will they will want everything they can get, and uh, as long as there are end users uh, and product is being broken and and uh, appreciated, not appreciated in the financial sense, but just that it's it's wanted, and right. not just for the investment, but it's it's something that's wanted, then that's good. So uh, we're out of time again, Daryl. But uh, <laughs> any, any uh, final quick question for me, or or um, because uh, you're doing some consulting, you told us about that in uh, in, a, in a in a prior episode. But uh, you know, uh, I think being a distributor is 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 tough. You did it well. But uh, any last question or? Well, I, I was just going to say I loved every minute of it, Jim. You know, the the things that were true then, a lot of them are still true today, and it is about how you treat people. And I just want to end with you know one of the things that I'm so honored to be with you today about is that you've always treated people like in fact, better than you probably ever expected to be treated. And, and I think that speaks volumes about a lot of people in this industry and what makes it special. And if we can keep that going, the industry, the then and now will still be, the, the now will continue. And that's really exciting for me. Okay, now listen carefully. You, you, I'm going to tell the listeners, Daryl is an exceptional guy. Okay, <laughs> number nice. one. Number two is that 99 out of 100 guys in this industry are honest and hardworking and really, uh, really great. By saying Daryl's exceptional, I'm not saying he's person number 100. I'm saying he's in the 99. Because <laughs> uh, that could back, backfire on me. But uh, no, Daryl, you, you ran your business well. Now you're helping others to do that. That's that's what I aspire to do as well. So thanks, listeners. Thanks, Daryl. Daryl, we'll, we'll do this again. This is fun. Appreciate your Love contributions it. to the success of of, uh, of, of so many and uh, in our company as well. So again, thanks, listeners. We'll be back in tomorrow with another episode. Is to